All right, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is actually going to be episode 13. I'm sorry that it took me so long to get this out. I was trying to get Brian Mullen, who got engaged and was on his way to a wedding. Um, so everything got screwed up in my scheduling. I finally did get Brian Mullen. I have a show with him in the bag, and I have another show with James Alfred. So I'm going to put three shows up much quickly, more quickly than I normally do. But I did this show with Robert Bassano, and some of you may know him as a video was mirrored out and started to blow up that was titled something to the effect of Grad Student Proves the Hubble Space Telescope is a Lie, or something to that effect. It's been mirrored a few times. But Robert Bassano is the individual who called uh, the SOFIA telescope platform, which is a 747 that goes to high altitude and shoots images. Uh, I got notified this morning by Robert Bassano and a few other people. He was making a video that, I mean, it was innocuous. Uh, It was going to be on a Google Live chat with a follower or two or something like that. And he had named it uh, Flat Earth, Sunrises and Sunsets or something to that effect. And Google took the video down before it went live, gave him a strike saying it was flagged and violated standards. This is what I'm talking about, free speech. This video, he claims, had not even gone live. At any rate, here's the show with Robert Pisano. And, uh, I mean, come on, guys. I've been saying for years now that the Hubble Space Telescope doesn't exist and nothing goes above what we call low Earth orbit. And this gentleman went out and did a call with the SOFIA I don't know whether he's the operational control manager or whatever, and talked with him about what he had found, even proving that there's no record of STS-31, which was the shuttle launch that was supposed to bring the Hubble into orbit. Now, I haven't double-checked all this information, but I think you'll be pretty impressed with um, the video that he made, and you should go to his channel. It's Planatas Veritas. you got to do it all in upper capital letters. It's uh, P-L-A-N. A-T-A, and then Veritas, all in upper case letters, and it's Robert Bassano. Um, anyhow, looks like uh, we recorded yesterday, and it looks like YouTube's at war with this guy now. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk with him to figure out exactly why uh, they're pulling his videos down and giving him strikes, but I, I mean, come on, man. What I read this morning claimed that the video they nailed him for had not even gone live yet. Um, So we'll see what goes on here. Anyhow, let's jump in. You're going to hear in the next three episodes that as I get into the show, the episode number is incorrect because I've moved them out of order to get this live. This will serve as episode 13. It should have been 15. Let's do this. As is usual, I forgot to tell everyone what's in the second hour. In the second hour, uh, there is a lot of data for people who want to understand what is true and what is not because Robert tells you where he found all these things out. You can go look up. He tells you where he's researching the STS missions. Uh, He talks about balloons at one point with an astounding revelation that uh, the International Space Station oscillates up and down in the exact same pattern as a high-altitude balloon, and he's demonstrated that. Um, He talks about another source where he can't yet divulge the document where... There was a laser test done to locate the moon, and it was located at 99 miles away from us. I kid you not. 
There's a ton in the second hour, and I'm not going to break it all down here because I want to get into the episode. But if you're into what's going down here, if you're into getting good data, I think good data. I have not vetted this all, but there are sources for most of it. So any individual can go challenge what's being said or challenge what they've been told by NASA. Um, Let's just jump right in. Here we go. All right, welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. Um, The numbering on the next couple episodes is going to be a little confusing. Uh, This should stand as episode 15. I have two shows recorded that I am trying to get out, but uh, due to my next guest's popularity, because he made a video uh, two weeks ago that is blowing up and being mirrored everywhere, uh, I may push this out as episode 13, pushing the other two. So in short, you'll just have to see how this is labeled to see how it comes up. Anyhow, uh, my guest here is Robert Bassano, and uh, we'll do the introduction. How are you, Robert? I'm good. I'm good. And you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited to have you. Um, there seems to be a, well, I, I guess everyone's aware there's an awakening of some sort of foot, but what I am seeing is a whole new vanguard of scientific minds willing to challenge the uh, the things we've been told all these decades. Sorry, I'm trying to get my phone off here. Um, but anyhow, I just did a show with Brian Mullen, which I'm going to release, and he's an engineer who announced within a 24-hour period of me announcing that we believe space is some sort of liquid. Now, can you quickly describe for people the video that you published uh, two weeks ago? And I will preface it by saying I know it's been mirrored in a lot of places. I first saw it labeled uh, with a title that said something to the effect of grad student proves the Hubble Space Telescope is a lie. But anyhow, can you please give us the original title of that video and where it is posted? Well, the the original title of the video, there were there were two videos that were put out. The first one um, was was um, the NASA deputy team program manager uh, has never seen Hubble in real time in 25 years, and then based on the information that he shared with me and our and our telephone conversation. I did because he he. I did a reference comparison to the Hubble Space Telescope and Sophia, which is the stratospheric observatory um, partnership between NASA and the German Space Agency. And Sophia has a nearly identical technical construction and specifications as Hubble. So, so wait a minute, let me stop you right there just to make sure we let people understand. Basically, what you're saying is, um, in your professional career, and I, I want to preface this by saying, I believe Robert's involved in machine learning, artificial intelligence, and some very high-end things. Uh, he's a grad student. I believe, Robert, you're still working on your master's degree, right? Yeah, I'm a first-year grad student, and you know, astrophysics and you know, this type of science has... has never been my mainstream interest in academia. Um, you know, my, my undergraduate uh, education is in the area of intelligence, okay, uh, so- re- intelligence research, but it brought me to this area. So my, I'm pursuing a graduate degree in systems engineering and conducting the research on it, developing advanced systems regarding machine learning, neural networking, took me to the area of image processing whereby I started looking into 
working on a research paper into advanced image processing of objects in the sky and, and allowing a machine to actually autonomously identify particular objects to tell you what the structure was, the composition, distance, so on and so forth. Which is what, and, you, which is what got you looking at the purported Hubble images, correct? Yeah, I started looking at the Hubble images and as I was going through conducting my searches, I, you know, I found a lot of data on NASA's website, I found data on Google and then I started to look through the university system for other type of video, videography and photographic imagery and, you know, I stumbled across Sophia and I said, wait a minute, I've seen this image before. <laughs> and that's when the comparative analysis was I was I was conducting with the images from Sophia's website and Hubble and I started matching up identical photos so then I started looking into the background to see okay when were these photos taken and I found uh, a, a few particular photos where Sophia took the same images as Hubble on the same exact day and, and and we should clue people in. The Sophia is basically an airplane. I think it's a 747. Yeah. Robert will collect, correct me if I say anything wrong here. But what I was beginning to point out before Robert started describing this is what Robert discovered was that, for lack of better terms, there's basically an identical telescope on the Sophia. It's one of many different systems the Sophia can run, but it's pretty much identical in capability to the Hubble Space Telescope. So let me throw it back to you now that you are finding an image that is identical taken by Sophia and the Hubble taken on the same day yeah it was it the image in question was the mg84 supernova um, I found images that were taken by both assets both telescopes on the same day as a matter of fact there were three photos there was one taken from a ground observatory there was one taken from Sophia and there was one taken from Hubble and they were all on the same day and interestingly enough, the, the image from Sophia was better clarity. It was higher definition than the one from Hubble. Hubble's supposed to be at 330 plus miles um, above the, you know, above the ISS, 100 miles above the ISS, and Sophia is flying at 45,000 feet, and a, a special purpose 747 flying at 500 miles plus an hour, and it just that's when I started digging into Hubble. So I was looking at a lot of the information. All the information I obtained was off of NASA's website. I went through their website, you know, with as best a fine-tuned comb as I could fo possibly find. And I found, I went on to the human spaceflight um, section of their website. And I found out, I pulled up uh, STS-31, and it had some data in there. And it showed a photo of, of current director Charlie Bolden as the mission commander for STS-31. And in the caption of the photo, it says, here is Charlie Bolden, you know, inside the, uh, the, the shuttle in the cargo bay, you know, fixing all of the spacesuits. The, the EVA was canceled for this mission, you know, and they were carrying the Hubble. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, the EVA was canceled for the mission, meaning no one went out there to, to literally push Hubble out into orbit. So there's no way the STS would have gotten to 330 miles. So, and then I started looking a little bit deeper and I'm like, okay, let me see if I can find some videos on YouTube. 
every video you see on YouTube, even put out by NASA, it shows, you know, the launch on April 24th, 1990. It shows, you know, um, space activity in inside the, the STS with them talking about it. They, they, what they, what you see on the video, what looks like Hubble, they have, they show the arm moving and it, they're trying to take it out of the cargo bay. And then you don't see anything else. You see videos of servicing missions. And, you know, I wasn't putting into question too much of the servicing missions, but I said, okay, let me look into this a little bit more. So then I, I, I discovered a, an international database called FAI, the Federation Aeronautic International. It's FAI.org. And this organization existed before NASA. They were created, I think, in the 1940s. Uh, Theodore von Karman, and if no one knows who that is, uh, the Karman line was named after him. Um, he and a bunch of other physicists and uh, scientists got together. They had this, this big conference in Switzerland, uh, or, or Austria, I think, and they wanted to define where space actually begins. Um, and they collectively agreed that they were going to put out an international standard of where space actually began and they decided it was going to be at 100 kilometers which is 328,082 feet from the surface center of the earth so and, and that is dubbed the Kármán line right that's dubbed the Kármán line yes so that's it's, the reference that you just made of yeah, the, the name yeah. Kármán okay go ahead yeah so give or take that could change a couple of thousand feet because you have the the solar cycle where the atmosphere expands and contracts so there could be a time during the solar cycle where the atmosphere expands and you may have to fly at a higher altitude maybe 330,000 feet maybe 340,000 feet who knows um, but you know if you're going to trust the data that you see on telemetry with NASA I'm going to tell you here right now you can't trust that data because it can be spoofed it can be faked you can put in the software programming and it shows you to the, what you believe to be the telemetry data, but there's no way to actually definitively verify that's where they actually have gone to. But interestingly enough, the DOD classifies space at 80 kilometers, which is about 262,000 plus feet. Now, NASA, I'm not sure if they're going, they're determining space to be 262,000 or 328,000. Regardless of that, when I went looking in the FAI database and I typed in, I went to FAI.org, I went to space records. Now, something that needs to be cleared up here. Just because it says space records on their website, that doesn't mean that a record needs to be set. Okay? Because if, if that particular section of the website clearly states that, oh, this, this is only for records that have been set, then why would you put the servicing missions in there? Because there are a lot of missions that were done, that were initiated by NASA, where there was no record set at all. You know that if someone traveled at a distance, someone else broke that record. There's records broken all the time. But you keep the older records in there. Now, Hubble technically was supposed to weigh 25,000, I've seen a different weight of 27,000 pounds. It's 43 and a half feet tall, okay? And I think it's about 43, uh, give or take. Put it this way. There was about a foot and a half, maybe two feet of space inside the cargo bay of the shuttle, meaning that the Hubble would have barely fit inside of this thing. 
okay, in the cargo bay of the shuttle. When I go type in STS-31, no results, okay? So I type it in different, no results. I typed it in different, three different ways. So then I type in the name of all of, of every single um, crew member for STS-31. No one's name popped up, no results. Then I, so I, I said, okay, I can't find this. So I typed in the year, April 24th, 1990, okay? Nothing on the earth left the earth in the year 1990. So is STS-31 supposedly them bringing the Hubble into orbit? Is that what That the was the mission. April 24th, 1990 was when Hubble supposedly launched from okay. Cape Canaveral and went up into space with 27,000-pound payload. So you're looking for the record of the initial launch that would have left planet Earth. For yeah, lack it should of have set a record. Exactly. Yeah, right. And, but not just set a record, it's also taking the Hubble up for the first time to supposedly place it in orbit. Yeah, to place it in orbit. And this is, you know, of course, before they discovered the, the mirror aberration. So so then I started typing in. I, I just went through the entire database. I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to click on every single variable of this launch. We know it was a, it was a heavy payload, so I said, okay, let me click greatest mass lifted to greatest altitude. You would figure 27,000 pounds is, could be a large mass in 1990 lifted to the highest altitude, which was 330 miles. Yeah, you'd think. Nothing. So I said, okay, let me make a telephone call to FAI.org. Let me ask them about this, because this could just be some sort of database system error, you know? Maybe I'm not, maybe there's something wrong with my system. So I cleaned my system. I cleared cookies, caches. I restarted everything, did a security audit, all of that. Logged back in again, tried it out again, okay? And I was getting the same results. So finally, a week later, I get an email back from FAI asking, you know, and they answered. They said, I'm sorry, but the information you provided us, we have no records of this mission, Right? So, Holy smokes. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, on the face of it, on the face of what you were saying is that the actual mission that would have brought the Hubble telescope into space for the first time to place it in orbit, to do what it was supposed to do, uh, there's no record of that mission. Yeah, they said there was no record. But the guy said to me in the email, he says, could you provide me some additional data? So I said, okay, you know, and I sent him the link for the Hubble Space Telescope. I sent him the mission data that's on NASA's website kind of summarizing the mission, and then I went a little bit further, okay? The UN, the United Nations, has a space, has like a space administration. Everything that's launched off the surface of this earth, okay, that's going to be propelled into the sky and for space has to be registered with the UN. You're kidding. I'm not kidding you. I can give you the link. You can go to the UN's website. I put a video up about this, uh-huh. okay? And you can go to the website and you can check it for yourself, okay? I put a video up about it, and I'll give that to you later. Yeah. But I went to the UN, and it showed, and literally, you see the list. The United States registered the launch, okay? And then it goes in the description. It's, it, it tells you the description of the object that was launched into space, so it says, you know, it was a space vehicle carrying people. There was disposable, you know, rockets that were disposed of and then non-functional objects. That's what it classified. So, so, non- so it, didn't, was- it didn't say anything about a telescope. No, it said nothing about a telescope. Wow. Now, now, now I needed to do comparison. 
So I decided to enter in the nomenclature and the ID for another telescope that they claim to be out there, okay, which is Chandra, the Chandra telescope. That's that yeah. video that's titled Flat Earth 747 Sophia, the real Hubble and Chandra telescope. So the Chandra telescope launched nine years after Hubble. So I'm starting to think to myself, wait a minute, why would you send another telescope up there that could do the same thing as Hubble nine years later? I'm like, I, so immediately I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm getting some evidence to prove Hubble doesn't exist and they might have brought it back down because not, they put up a more advanced telescope that happened to be out in the same area where Hubble should have been. Except you can't even find the original manifest record no. or indication of any kind no. that a high-tech telescope that barely fit in the space shuttle was launched into orbit in the first no, place. I'd say it. that's pretty good evidence on its own. Yeah, that's and, and then I had to make sure because, you know, I asked them, could you please check again, please? I said, what's the procedure for submitting, you know, information to FAI to have something put in the database? He says, well, we get all – we get – we get information from the agency who's giving us the data to be launched. They give us the mission data after they've come back. And usually the guy says within three to six months, it's put into the database and, and he said it's registered and certified as a record. I said, okay, so you're saying nothing was ever submitted. He says, well, I went to go look into the archive files. There's no file there. There's no paper file. I said, okay. So I left it at that. When I go to the UN Space Agency and I look up Hubble and I see that they don't even describe the telescope, but then when I look up Chandra, it actually describes what Chandra is supposed to be looking at. And here's the shocking thing that I haven't revealed to anyone yet. You'll be the first one I revealed it to. When you go to the UN Space Agency's website, okay? Yeah. When you go to the UN Space Agency's website and you enter in Chandra, Chandra is supposed to be looking at the sky, at stars, okay? Okay. Chandra is not looking at the stars. What the hell is it looking at? Okay, I'm going to read to you exactly what Chandra is uh, going through. But, you know, while I'm doing that, I'll, um, I'll uh, finish talking about Hubble. So that's why I decided to make the telephone call to HST. So I wanted to ask about this, and I made the call cold so that everyone could see it and no one could accuse me of, oh, this is all fake, he staged this, yada, yada, yada. I called down the phone list, and I got a hold of the deputy program manager and you know, said my name and what I was interested in doing. And yeah, what I'm interested in doing is bona fide, and you know, I am working on advanced imaging processing application, and we, we just basically had a conversation about this. and. He said in the 25 years that he had been, you know, with the program, he'd never seen Hubble in real time. He said he had only seen the servicing missions. Now, is this the Sophia guy or the Chandra guy? No, this is the this is the uh, Hubble guy. This is the Hubble guy. So wait yeah. a minute. This is an actual. Okay, so wait a minute. I got lost there for a second. What is his title? What is his gig? Okay, Mike Maslinski is the deputy program manager. Okay. Operations manager for the Hubble Space Telescope. Okay, okay, I'm caught up. Gotcha. And okay. so, what you're saying is, when he's never seen it, I mean, what are we talking about? He's never seen data collected. He's never seen, you know, live no, images, he, raw he's, images. He's seen he's seen data collected, of course, because it's sending down signal and telemetry data. You know, to let them know what what the health of the assets is supposed to be. 
but he's never he never saw Hubble put, get put inside. I see. Okay. The, the the STS cargo bay. Gotcha. He said he's seen servicing missions, but he didn't clarify if those servicing missions were actually being viewed in real time. Okay. And for me, for someone who's questioning if we even go to space, there's no telling. Those images could have been from anywhere. That's right. Okay. And, and, and to let you know, they, they have a green screen in the aqua training tank. Which, which I have seen, and I have, since I initially found that, I've tried to find good images to make people aware. Um, they hide the hell out of that green screen. As a matter of oh, fact, yeah, yeah. I think it rolls up or something into a little tube, um, because most of the images where you could get a peek at it are now not so easy to find. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. And, and the thing is, is that I've got photos showing them the astronauts underwater putting the new cameras inside the Hubble. They're supposed to be, you know, these new cameras. Um, and when you match that up with the photo that they claim that they actually did it in space, yep, it's perfect. Now, you'll have people to debate that. It says, oh, the reason why it's perfect because that's why they practice in the pool. So it could be exactly the way they did it on the ground. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. But when you do photo forensic analysis, okay, you could see where there's problems. You could see people talking about space bubbles and everything like that. That issue, you know, regarding space, you know, I know we'll talk about that. But heading over to Sophia on this, how I ended up discussing, talking with, um, with Nicholas Veronico of the, of the Sophia program, and we got we got into details of what Sophia can do, what the telescope can do, and he says, "Yeah, we have a greater, we have a 250 micron IR capability to see things in variable wavelengths." So, in other words, what he's telling you, just so people understand, is a telescope on a 747 flying at high altitude has a better ability to pick up things in the infrared than the Hubble Space Telescope does in space. Yeah, he was very specific. He said that Hubble had a had a point had a 5 micron capability, you know, I think he said it was like 2.5 to 5 micron capability at 330 miles with literally very limited atmosphere and he said Sophia flying at 45,000 had a 250 micron capability flying at 45,000 feet looking through four to five different layers of atmosphere. <laughs> and not only that, I mean, you, you're going to end up having to bring up the damn Van Allen belts and all that other nonsense because well, you're that, looking through a, all that. Yeah, that's another. Van Allen, I can tell you some things about him um, that will probably shock you because I got a hold of some of his files from the University of Iowa, and um, he, he falsified his research. He never got a rocket to 2,400 kilometers and 10,000 kilometers. Well, never. I, I I mean, we we should we should stick on point for now, but you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. Van, the you, Van, the Van Allen that, belts is just more poppycock, um, yeah, just, yeah. just it's, more it's, nonsense. It's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. So so Nick starts to describe to me everything that Sophia can do. So I I brought up the question to him. I said, you know what, you know, let's let's do an apples and oranges because he says, you know, what Sophia can do and what Hubble can do is apples and oranges. I say, well, which one's the apples? One's one of the oranges, you know. <laughs> And, and he, we started giggling and laughing about it. And he says to me that when I asked him, I said, well, hey, I saw a photo taken on a specific day of the MG84 supernova, right? 
He says, yeah, I know about that. I said, you do? I said, well, can you explain to me how Sophia took the same exact picture of Hubble on the same day of the same exact object in space? He goes, yeah, I can, I can do that. I said, he says, I was on that mission. I said, on that mission? You mean you were on, you were on board Sophia when you took that photo? He says, yeah, we did that. Jackpot. And I said, I, I was saying to myself, oh, my God, I can't believe he just said that. And it confirmed what I had already believed. So I took my own, you know, of course, my, my accusation and analysis and theory, and I had someone confirm it for me, and that's all I needed to confirm. That's all I needed to confirm. And when he told me that Sophia can literally, that has seven different instruments, telescopes, he said seven, he couldn't tell me which telescopes, but he says they had seven, he gave me, he sent me the list of telescopes. And some of them have different nomenclature names, like you're not going to see the, the common names you think were launched on rockets. But I can tell you, looking at the technical specs, every space telescope they claim that's out there is not out there. It's actually on Sophia. Now, I'm not going to say every single one, but he says they can, they can retrofit and change out the telescopes every two days. It takes them two days to change it out and put in a different one. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say it for you. Nothing goes above what we call low Earth orbit, including machines. But I mean, I've got to ask you, you saw the list of so just to be just, let me back up a second. So people listening understand what Robert just said was the Hubble Space Telescope doesn't exist. He demonstrated at least three good reasons uh, why you can prove that. But then he correlated it with the SOFIA, which is a 747 flying at high altitude using an almost identical telescope, which is apparently even a little better than the supposed fake Hubble telescope. But um, of the seven, uh, and I'm sorry, so he's the, what's being said here is Robert is saying there would even be no need for a Hubble Space Telescope because SOFIA could take any of the images in the first place. Yeah. But uh, you saw the seven types of scopes are any of them optical are any of them human eye visibility uh i'm not i'm not sure on that You're not now, sure? Uh, something i want to yeah because i'm still looking at the technical technical spec data so and i'm trying to compare it to other stuff that they claim that's out there but well, just well, i want I, what i was wondering is because you know back in the 90s when i first got my first scope and i believed at the time Hubble was real and got a film camera and spent hours tracking stars trying to get my own mini Hubble images uh, before I started to realize it's all nonsense. Uh, as I began to research those images even back then, what you find is nearly none of it is even claimed to be in the visual spectrum in the first place. Well, the interesting thing I wanted to clarify is this, is that... Um, Sophia's program, the 747, came online, I think, in early 2000, okay? So anyone wanting to challenge if Hubble exists, because it launched in 1990, the and, the, and, the, thing, and then had bad eyes, right? It had bad eyes. They had to go correct yeah. it, supposedly. So there's, there's even a longer gap time there that works in the favor of your argument. Well, well the interesting thing is this. Even I found a video online that was put out by the National Science Foundation regarding Antarctic balloon launches. And they provide a chart of, you know, a graph chart showing, you know, on the left-hand side it shows altitude. 
and the bottom, you know, horizontal line shows payload uh, weights that a balloon would be able to carry a specific object to a specific altitude for a specific amount of time. And if you people look up the EBEX experiment on YouTube or online, they launched an 8,000-pound telescope, which was probably two-thirds the size of Hubble, on a balloon. It looked nearly identical to Hubble. It was almost a third, maybe two-thirds the size of Hubble. 8,000-pound telescope. They took it to about 130, 150,000 feet in Antarctica. Wow. The balloon program is older than the space program. We have been using balloons for aerial reconnaissance, intelligence, and surveillance longer than NASA has been in existence. Right. I mean, there's the whole Picard thing that's coming to light now, yeah. which probably gave the, the name to the Star Trek captain. But uh, it's also being used in a Hennessy commercial, which yeah, so dem demonstrates space as liquid and, you know, uh, that there's a, I don't know whether you want to call it a firmament, or I call it a barrier, that there's some sort of a yeah. barrier up there. But anyhow, go ahead. Well, so, so it, I'm not, I, yes, I've said the Hubble doesn't exist because it's not in any official database. And to go back to what you had asked me before about um, Chandra, the official document I'm looking at right now, published on the UN's website, it, the website is unoosa.org. Okay? When you yep. go to the online index of objects launched into outer space, you don't have to have any record. It's every object ever launched is in this database with the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. When, you, when I pull up the data on Chandra, which was launched 23rd July 1999, it went to an apogee of 72,064 kilometers. They, the general function of the space object is described as, and this is Chandra. Yep. Spacecraft engaged in investigation of spacecraft techniques and technology. Read that one more time. Spacecraft engaged in investigation of spacecraft techniques and technology. That's a hell of a way to word telescope. No, get this. It says what the function of the space object was supposed to be. Chandra is supposed to be looking out at the universe, at stars and nebulas and all this other right. nonsense. They describe it as a spacecraft that is looking at another spacecraft and how it's performing and what type of technology. Wow. Based on my interpretation, my own interpretation, people can go online and look at this for themselves. This is telling me that Chandra is not up there looking at the universe. They're looking at another spacecraft well, I mean, at 72,064 kilometers. Uh, that's incredible. I mean, when you began to word it, uh, it was pretty clear that it wasn't describing any optical or otherwise device. But I, I'm guessing you're about to tell me that there is no entry for STS-31. No, there, there's there, there's no there's an entry for STS thirty one, but they don't describe it, and I'm going to type it in right now, and I'm going to tell you what they describe it as. I'm going to read it exactly as as they say it. Okay, and to refresh every everyone's memory, that would have been the space shuttle mission that first brought yeah. the Hubble up into orbit. Yep. Or what we call orbit, which doesn't exist in my view. Okay, so 
they, you know, and on the UN's website, they give you the external website data for Chandra, but they don't give you any external website data for Hubble. Now, so who 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 owns Chandra? Is does is that a NASA thing? Whose asset? I think is that? I think that's a I think that's a NASA project. Yeah. That's a NASA asset. Okay. Yeah, that's a NASA asset. No, don't quote me exact on this. So I pull up the Hubble data, and I'm going to read to you the spacecraft function. Okay, spacecraft function. Let me see here. April, March. Okay, April twenty fourth. This is what they classify the general function of that launch. It reached an apogee of 624 kilometers, okay, perigee of 610 kilometers. And the general function is research and exploration of the upper atmosphere or outer space. Does it have a, a bill of lading? Does it tell you what they were carrying besides people? No. No. So, so there it is. I mean, on its own, that would stand up in court. You could make the argument with that alone, uh, if that's documented everywhere like that and not just online, um, that the Hubble was never even, you know, left. What and we- here's the interesting thing. They were supposedly came back on the 30th and they listed in the U.N. record following objects achieved orbit since the last report, but are no longer in orbit as of 2400 Zulu time on 30 April 1990. And they classify the shuttle, STS-31, reusable space transportation system. And that's it? That's it. What? So, I'm sorry, that's the 30th or the 31st? What day was that the was launch? That was the 30th. Of, the launch was the 24th of April. They came supposedly came back on the 30th of April, 1990, at 2400 Zulu time, which they came back on the 29th. So you could say that came back that evening and... It was officially recorded as 2400 Zulu time the next day, which is the 30th of April. Well, I think anyone in their right mind would ask um, if you could put a 747 up there, which could be outfitted with any number of telescopes that can take images that are listed as better, higher quality than a space telescope. Why in the hell would you even go for the expense of trying to put something in space? But there's one thing that we haven't really discussed. Do you remember when Bush the Jr., um, you know, the donkey man uh, wanted to remove or, or quit servicing the Hubble Space Telescope, citing that it was too dangerous to continue to do so. But there was a public outcry from suppose the science community um, that didn't allow him to do it. And if I had to guess, looking back on that now, they were trying to cover their tracks by saying it was too dangerous, we can't service this anymore, and they were going to erase it from history. Uh, but everyone screamed and yelled, you know, you can't do that. And the reason they screamed and yelled was because of all these beautiful images that were fraudulent they'd been handed. Well, here goes the additional link analysis, you know, that I hope supports you know, the, the claim and proof that Hubble never left the ground. And here, here's the additional data that a lot of people didn't look at. Hubble, the cost of Hubble was $1.5 billion, okay? Jeez. Now, the total program came out to around $2.5 billion because they had to fix the mirror. Actually, no, they didn't fix the mirror. They realized they couldn't fix it in space. That's what they claimed. And they, they had these additional cameras developed, which were somewhere around a half, a, half of uh, maybe a couple of hundred million dollars each. 
And, right. and I, I have a feeling if you look at the launch time to the time that they put the glasses on and fixed it, that would further bolster your argument for the Chandra. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But here, yeah. here's the interesting thing. When you, you always follow the money when it comes to fraud, okay? <laughs> I found out, I researched how much Sophia cost. It cost the exact the same amount of money it cost to build Hubble. It cost one and a half billion dollars to build Sophia. <laughs> now get this, it gets better. It gets better. So what I'm thinking is, I think I know what happened. They realized that Hubble, because see, every space object has to go into the Glenn Research vacuum chamber to undergo the same conditions it would be under when it was, if it gets, if it ever gets launched into space, right? So they put it through those conditions. When you put it through those conditions, you have to test the systems to see if the thing will malfunction, right? Yep. So I think that when they put it in a Glenn Research Center, they identified the mirror aberration and says, oh, my God, what are we going to do? So they went ahead with the launch, empty shuttle, okay, empty shuttle. They went ahead with it. They posted on their own website. They scrubbed the EVA, the extravehicular activity. They canceled it, right? They, they didn't talk much about it. And what happened was they had to go to Congress to ask for another billion and a half to $2 billion to put it on a 747. I think that they gutted the, riddle, the original Hubble. They took all the components out of it. They built another mirror. They had the... Because Hubble's mirror is supposed to be, I think, 2.5 meters, 2.7 or 2.5 meters. The, the, the Sophia mirror is just a little bit smaller than that, but the technical specs are identical. Literally, if you were to gut Hubble, you could look at the photos online and you would see those exact components inside that 747. They gutted it, put it on Sophia, and I don't know what's been sending them into telemetry data. But it's not the Hubble at 330 miles. And when I put together the mathematics to say, wait a minute, if this thing, if this asset has no way of staying in orbit like you claim the ISS can do, because it has a propulsion system, that means if the ISS is losing altitude and gaining altitude, but the Hubble continues to degrade in altitude and it's undergoing increased atmospheric drag, based on the math and the time frame, Hubble should actually be in the ocean. Yeah, but I, I mean, what you just described, I mean, I think I could give you a better, you know, Columbo synopsis here. They, yes, took, they took the money for Hubble. They never built it. They built a dummy model, which got showed to the public. The reason for that is because nobody can go above low Earth orbit, and they knew they could never put it in space. And to top it off, like my last guest, Mr. Mullen, who's an engineer, is demonstrating why rockets and iron propulsion probably would not work in the vacuum as described if, in fact, space were a vacuum. But to take this further, they then went to Congress and got another billion, having pocketed the first billion, and all they made was a model and they built an identical piece of equipment and put it on Sophia, a 747. But yeah. for some reason, the one they put on Sophia actually from specs 
could see a little bit better than the one that was supposed to be in space. The problem with this whole argument becomes, and you demonstrated it in the clip that first introduced me to you, was there was no damn way, there was orbital mechanical problems from the description and the math that we were handed in the first place in the same way that the ISS suffers. The ISS gets away with the lie because of the ion propulsion boosters or whatever ridiculous yeah. you know, silliness they're, they're telling us. But the fact remains, what you said is true. There were no thrusters, no boosters, no nothing on Hubble, which means by their own rules, its orbit will degrade and it will burn up. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and the thing about it is this, is that, uh, you know, when I said these things to this guy I was talking to about the Hubble, he said, interesting. He didn't debate saying, no, you're wrong. It's still up there. I, you know? I couldn't get I mean, a sense of whether that guy was completely clueless or the best freaking straight face in the history of well, I mean, you know, you NASA. Don't sit a, you don't sit at a desk deputy program manager for 25 years and never ask yourself this question. And he no. even said himself in the phone call with the guy uh, about HST, he says, you know what? Why? He, he says, why would we put a camera on it? I said, listen, police departments put cameras on bomb robots when they go inside buildings so right. they can look at the robot right those 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 assets are maybe a 250 <laughs> why would you not put a camera on Hubble <laughs> liquor, which is one and a half billion dollars it, dude. Liquor, liquor stores do it to protect you know, their and, beer I mean come on and then he says we don't have a need to look at it. I'm like wait a minute okay so based on where Hubble you say Hubble is right now and where the ISS is a hundred miles below it why can't the astronauts ever turn around? They should be able to see Hubble with their naked eye, with a, with a DSLR, maybe 400, 500 millimeter telephoto zoom lens. And I got all kinds of excuses from people who want to comment on my channel saying, oh, if you, you're so stupid. You need to look at the telemetry data on this sat view. And it shows the <laughs> Hubble's path. It shows the Hubble's path and ISS. They never come within a distance of each other, even see each other. I'm like, really? Then how is it that they, you can see the moon 250,000 miles away with your naked eye from ISS, but you can't see Hubble that should be within 60 to 80 miles across it, the it, across the earth? Oh, come on. It's ridiculousness. I mean, it, it, it just none of the none of the explanations could stand any sort of serious weight to why it wasn't in the international database. See, the people at NASA says we don't manage the database. I said, yeah, I understand you don't manage it. But you want to tell me why your servicing missions, when you go search the servicing missions, all of them are in there except two. So why would you put the servicing missions in the international database, but not the actual primary mission where you say you put something up in the sky that's 27,000 pounds? And what makes matters worse, you know how heavy Chandra was nine years later? Chandra was twice the weight of Hubble, 50,000 pounds. And they say that this thing is actually in the sky. 50, they said that they were able to launch something 50,000 pounds, twice the density and weight and mass of Hubble. But when I went into the international database, guess what? Chandra's not in there either. Oh, you're kidding. No, Chandra's not in the international database. 
Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, this just keeps getting better and better. I mean, that when you began to read the definition of Chandra, it was pretty clear to me that we're not talking about any kind of an optical device or any kind of a telescope in the first place. Um, but the other point I would make is the, the International Space Station astronauts don't seem to be able to see anything. They can't see satellites. No. They can't see the Hubble. But all those supposed 10 to 20,000 satellites, a good number of them have cameras. So... For the to even try to make the argument that oh the the ISS astronauts can't do it well there's any number of ten to twenty damn thousand satellites that are armed with cameras we are told yeah so and I, and, and, and here's the thing if we're doing intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance and mapping the Earth right right why wouldn't you want to have a real time photo view and and if there's thirteen thousand objects below or above the ISS. Why, when you see the ISS live footage, you can't see a school bus size object <laughs> whiz past the ISS? And, and not only that, it's got it's got panels, so it's going to reflect sunlight at certain attitudes. Well, well, the interesting thing about it is this. I was told, and here's the excuse I was given, Crow. I was told by the HST guy, oh, I said, can you see the Hubble with a telescope? He says, no. He goes, but you could see it at night. When the sunlight hits it and it reflects sunlight, I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And it dawned on me because I didn't question him about this at the time. How is it sunlight can reflect off of the Hubble at nighttime? Do you see the, 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 the ridiculousness in what I just said? How oh, I, is the I sunlight see, reflecting? Yeah, how I, is the sun reflecting light? Off of the Hubble at nighttime. Because you're suggesting that the orbit is so low that there would be no direct path to sunlight. Is that what you're suggesting? Exactly. But you're suggesting that giving their globe model, which, I mean, we won't even bother to go there for now. Um, but see, I, I mean, this is what I constantly tell people, that these frauds and these hoaxes and these lies die under the weight of their own details. But, I mean, when you consider... That an identical, not only that, seven telescopes go on the 747 called Sophia. And I had looked up what Sophia means. It's an ancient kind of a cult name. But anyhow, mm -hmm. I've forgotten. i got to think of it. But they put the identical scope there. And then they turn around and have the gall to put the data up for someone like you to determine that the infrared ability is actually significantly better looking through supposed atmosphere, uh, the barrier you know, to space, all these things, it, none of it makes any sense. None of it. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And when you put them in a position to question them about it, um, I had to do the phone call because there was no way someone was going to that, literally be willing to yeah. talk to me about it and go through this Socratic method of reasoning and logic and, and literally say, oh, my God, I've been sitting here 25 years and this thing is really not there. I've been lied to. That's among the greatest YouTube phone calls I've heard. Um, there's a couple up there where people are calling the hoaxes like the Pulse, you know, nightclub BS. Um, but when I heard your phone call and that you, you had the fortitude to record it, uh, that's one of the better phone calls I've okay. ever heard because for some years now, I have been stating flat out, ain't no Hubble Space Telescope, ain't no nothing space anything, nothing is going above low Earth orbit. The problem here 
is I did it through observation and deductive reasoning and then taking apart the encoded memes that reside in media and language to until I was absolutely satisfied to 98% that what I was saying was correct. What you have now done, what Brian Mullen is now doing, are standing up as very well-educated men of science and challenging what you've been handed, breaking the old paradigm of men of science are a club and we go with the party line. When you guys stand up in the way that you are, in the way that Brian Mullen is, it's going to change the world. Because people are going to probably at first have a problem with what you're saying. Probably scientists are going to have a problem with what you're saying. The ones that are worth their weight in anything are going to go do the detailed work that you did, that Mr. Mullen did, and they're going to come to the same conclusions. I mean, if I asked you point blank right now, does the Hubble Space Telescope exist? Did it ever exist in space? I'd say no. Do you think it's de demonstrable? Would it stand up in a court of law, in your opinion? Not that I'm faking like you're well, a lawyer. Well, here's, a, do, here's do the thing. I, I actually have a background in, in, in law. I, I was a pre-law student at first, and I'll tell you something. What I know about doing mock trials in classroom is this. The burden of proof would be put on NASA because They're I would present all of this evidence, and their their motion in mitigation, I would file a motion to compel the court to force them to produce visual real-time evidence that Hubble is where they say it is. And I can guarantee you they will say, Your Honor, we can't produce that evidence. And when the judge says, why can't you? Don't you have something up there? Mr. Bersano has developed a crowdfunding effort to pay for the resources to reallocate of uh, a camera that you say you have up there that can be retasked, take a picture of it, and here's $10 million, they will tell you, well, sir, we can we go into chambers and talk to you about this? That's what would happen. Because they, they, the excuses I've been given, none of them hold up. None. Of, and here's the thing. I just searched FAI again. Do you know that when I, I didn't type in any mission in particular, I typed in space world records, greatest mass lifted to greatest altitude. Do you know what the greatest mass was? What? It was STS-6 in 1983. It was 20,477 grams. Okay. What? It was a, How it was much? A, it was 27,477 grams. Okay. In 1983. It was STS-6. It was the greatest mass lifted to the greatest altitude. Okay. Yep. And it was a data and relay satellite. Guess who was on the, on the mission? Story Musgrave. Of it was course. a Challenger orbiter. Now, you want to know what the altitude was they reached? Okay? Yeah. According to NASA, it went to an orbital altitude of 184 miles. Hubble was supposed to have gone to 331 miles. So you tell me how it is the greatest mass NASA recorded in the international database was a tracking and data relay satellite. Right. And what about Chandra? Chandra's not in there. Well, what Chandra's I'm saying is, you, you said Chandra was... Yeah, Chandra was, was 50,000 pounds. Yeah, even bigger. 50,000 pounds. And yeah, it's all when nonsense. You do the weight conversions, when you do the weight conversions from kilograms to, to pounds, you know, 
Um, 27, let's just say 28,000 kilograms. That's uh, 61,000 pounds. Damn. Right? And Chandra was 50,000 pounds. You know, these things should be in the database. Well, yeah, I, so, I, I, so yeah, Chandra. You're just piling on at this point. There's no record of the damn launch. And not only is there no record of the launch, there's no record of a cargo that fits the correct description. And not only that, even though the Chandra is listed, its description does not describe a telescope. No. It says looking at another space. It's investigating another spacecraft technology. So is it looking at Hubble? Is it looking at... ISS. What is it looking at? Well, I guarantee it's, not it's not, like yeah, I guarantee it's not looking at either one of those two things because those two things are not in space. Yeah, I, I would you, say all you have to do is check the servicing missions. Some of the servicing missions are in the international database. Why you put the servicing missions there? And here's another question I had asked. I said, "Wait a minute." I said to him, "If they were servicing the Hubble, okay, did the Hubble come down? Did they wait for the Hubble to come down into an altitude that the ISS?" That the shuttle could grab it, and or did they go up to the altitude where Hubble was? There was uh, an inconclusive statement on that one. But well, what are you implying? Are you implying that the orbit for the Hubble was higher than the ISS is ever supposed to well, go? Yeah, that, yeah. It, well, we've never seen a shuttle go higher than the ISS. I see. Okay. I mean, there's been missions where you see the ISS flipped upside down and it's looking down at the ISS. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to debate that. My point being is this. When I asked him, okay, so wait a minute. When they capture Hubble, it has no propulsion system. It's supposed to be flying at 17,000 miles an hour. How are they pushing Hubble back up into its supposed orbit? Because <laughs> according to the laws of, of physics, a body in motion, put in motion, stay in motion. stays in motion until right. there's something that stops it. Yep. So if they push Hubble back up, wouldn't it just keep going? <laughs> and he didn't have an answer. He says, no, it just stays, you know, stays, stays there. No. 27,000 pounds, if you use, there is no man that can calculate and estimate how much force they need to push on 27,000 pounds in a microgravity environment and really be accurate enough to say, okay, I think if I give it like – you know, a hundred pounds of force because I'm a hundred, you know, say the guy's two, the astronaut has 200 pounds. He gives a hundred pounds of pushing force or 50 pounds of pushing force. 27,000 pounds is going to, if it ain't got nothing to stop it, it's going to keep going. It'll slow down, but it'll keep going. Well, I mean, but I mean, the argument here starts to gain ridiculous proportions in the first place because you are looking at a supposed object in a supposed orbit that had no corrective no. Energy devices, no ion propulsion. It had some no sort of gyroscope. So yeah. that that means that it was supposedly put into orbit, BS, and then it degraded the whole time it was there until yeah. an STS mission occurred. Um, but anyhow, we're getting close to the top of the hour. I need to get my little dog out, as so many who listen understand my little dog's a heart patient. But when we come back, um, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, we did, when we met early earlier briefly we talked a little bit about the laser moon incident is that something you can address or is that a little too hot to handle well i can i can generally address it but i'm not comfortable telling you what the document is or 
what the data says because it's I'm still working to clarify and verify a few things. Then why don't we come back and generalize it with the caveat? But I can I can discuss that with regard to the moon because there was some data that I, I do have to provide a, a little bit more clarity on okay. where the moon really could be. Okay. All right. Well, there it is. We have Robert Pisano. That's the first hour of Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. Again, I'm not sure this is going to probably be episode 13, but it could be 14 or 15. I'm going to probably try to get this one out first. Um, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Robert, I'll see you roughly five minutes, and we're going to come right back with some pretty stunning insight about the moon. So there it is. Okay, also I wanted to add on the YouTube version, which I've already run on my members-only part of this show uh, on Crow777radio.com, I'm no longer going to use music or try to, you know, so many of us that do these podcasts, the, the further we get into it, you know, the more it starts to resemble what we've been shown from media as a TV show, as radio shows, and I'm, I'm not about that. Um, I, I don't... I don't want to use the music anymore for the simple reason that even I have rights to use it, um, at some point that could be used as a copyright, copyright challenge against me. So I don't need that and I don't want that. But more than just that kind of open door to allow someone to attack you and cause hassles is this is about information. This is about information that challenges the system, that tries to work towards some semblance of a truthful existence in this world we live in where so much of what we're shown and told is fraud flat out fraud um so i'm just not interested in flash and snazziness i'm interested in good information i'm interested in furthering a conversation that hopefully someday will contribute to a more accurate realization of where we live what this place is and I mean, just all of it. There's no facet that I have looked at that could not be challenged, um, which implies there's a, a better, a better, more accurate version of information that we've all grown up with. So there it is. Cheers. I hope to see you all over at crow777radio.com.